Welcome to Coaching the Coach. I'm your host, Pete Townley, for the Upstate Performance Project. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. Today we are delving into part two. Part two um, about you know our mindfulness journey, our our look into ourselves to um, not just become mindful um, of things, but but how being mindful really does actually change the physical side of things, or and what we call being a somatic educator. So before I jump into to today, you know, looking back at what we talked about in, in the, the previous in part one, you know, we, we want to be able to uh, <clears throat> give those cues to our, our, our students, uh, clients, athletes, whomever we're working with. We need to be able to give them cues to really allow them to feel literally feel the movement in the way we want them to feel the movement so we have to be able to do it right we have to be good practitioners but we also have to be able if if let's say you're not a coach uh and you're listening to this you need to have that time that that play time if you will or or freedom to explore some some movements and you know the movements given to you could be given to you by a coach or the internet or wherever you find but you need to find what gets that connection to you the most. And we also talked about the importance of imagery in in um, visualization. You know, whether it be, you know, I'm going for a certain look, so I'm visualizing what I want my body to look like, and that's setting my subconscious up to help me deal with that, uh, um, you know, uh, I guess what's what's the word I'm drawing a blank. Uh, that that's setting me up to um, have my body's subconscious motivate me, keep me motivated. Golly, that was hard to come up with. <laughs> um, keep me motivated to keep going. Um, just not being done yet. My body's not done. I'm moving forward. I still have work to be done. Um, and. And then, you know, how that actually changes the body's perception of how we look at things and how we view things. That is viewing things as exercise and nutrition and things like that, as opposed to saying, this is really hard, I can't do this. Okay, this is what I need to be doing in order to get where I want to go. Again, I always come back to my favorite Thomas Jefferson quote, if you want something you've never had before, you must be willing to do something you have never done before. Uh, that may not be verbatim, but that's pretty close. But the, the the point is, obviously, if you don't put in the work, you're not going to get the result you want. And sometimes putting in the work just means uh, staying motivated. And one way to stay motivated is to train your brain on that subconscious level to be able to keep you hungry for change and to open your eyes this is more importantly open your eyes to different ways of looking at things taking different pathways to get where you want to go so if you're viewing exercise and nutrition or, or changing any habit as a major major roadblock or a major undertaking and you just don't see how you can do it 
starting to visualize things and really look at it in a certain way and imagining yourself being in that position where you want to be opens up pathways for your brain to make it happen physically from a somatic level. And so what we talk about here, all of these things I'm talking about in these in these three parts are, are coming back from you know some of my education in the holistic fitness world. Um, it's something I got into in the you know mid 2000s. Um, I was working at a at a hospital system, and the greatest thing about that hospital system, um, I mean the people were awesome, but the the greatest thing about the job itself was they really believed in continuing education and professional development and they gave me a lot of money to seek out whatever I needed knowledge wise and go take courses certifications it was awesome um, and I did I took full advantage of that and I'd had a lot of people ask me about yoga and should I be using it and what am I doing with it and you know and I didn't really know a whole lot about yoga I mean I knew what it was but other than just stretching I wasn't a hundred percent sure of what it is I was trying to accomplish with yoga if I were to undertake it. So I took some time and looked at the different courses, looked at the different certifications, and rather than just get certified in yoga and then teach a yoga class, I wanted to use yoga in a way that I could very easily integrate it into what I was already doing in the strength training world. But that's where I came across this holistic, the holistic fitness academy, and that is where my uh, education in the holistic realm comes from. And so I'm using some of the text and some of the resources that Coach Linda Christie Wheeler uh, promotes, um, and it could be Weiler. I, I hope I'm not mispronouncing her name. Um, anyhow, so when I when I'm talking about some of these things, that this is where it's coming from. Um, Again, things I learned, you know, in my formal education back in uh, back a long time ago, um, and it's always nice to go back and relook at some of this stuff um, and remember and refresh, you know, what it is about that that I liked, why I took these courses in the first place, why I chose to go down that path back then, and how that has evolved and changed me as a practitioner over the years. And and really, at the end of the day, it hasn't changed much over the last few years because a lot of what I've learned I'm still doing I'm still using that not to say that I'm stuck in my old ways but I've gotten really good results with these things and this is blending a little bit of Eastern philosophy into a traditional strength and conditioning exercise science background right so I kind of have two two worlds that I'm bringing together and that's how I've always approached things. That's how I did things at the university when I was coaching the athletes. I taught the yoga class there and I had all of my athletes take the course because not only did were they getting some mobility and flexibility that I could fit into that, but I could also do, um, I could also do those things with, um, or, you know, give them some of those philosophies, some of those ideas that, you know, this is how this type of movement is going to help them um, in their performance, you know, because that, that's what they cared about was their performance. And and so um, with, with that, you know, that's how I've used this information over the last few years. But like I said, it's just fun to kind of go back and reread some of this stuff and see where it is that 
um, or like I said, what what have I changed? What have I adopted or adapted, I should say, and what has stayed the same? But getting into today, getting uh, getting into today's side of things, we need to look at, or I want to look at. Um, ways we can support this change. And so the thought is, as I mentioned the other day, we need to, as coaches, look at how we're going to cue, how we're going to develop cues for our athletes, how we're going to, or clients. Um, and if you're not a coach, how are you going to develop these cues yourself? Or when you take that time to explore different movements to see what, what actions you have more connections with, what movements you have better muscle, mind-muscle connections with uh, in, in choosing those exercises to do. There needs to be some sort of um, atmosphere to let that happen. So let me give you a quick example. Let's just say you wanted to get into powerlifting. I'm going to kind of use a funny example here. But let's say you wanted to get into powerlifting and you're trying to explore which accessory movements are going to feel the best for you uh, to go along with the squat, bench, and deadlift. If you're at a gym, like say a Planet Fitness, and I'm not picking on Planet Fitness, they have they serve a purpose and they have a mission and they stick with it and that's great. But powerlifting is certainly not one of their their um, things that you're gonna, gonna find is very tolerated there. So that's not a very safe um, place where you feel you might um, fit in to, to practice your movements, your accessories, to explore these different uh, alternatives. Uh, or exercises to to figure out what you connect with, and and so I'm not saying that you couldn't get it done there. I'm just saying that the right environment has to be there for either you yourself or your clients that you're working with. Um, you know, you need to have that atmosphere. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So you have to have some sort of <clears throat> feeling of safety, feeling of um, this is a place where I can do this. This is an environment where I can explore these movements without judgment, without being critical or feeling that someone's being critical. The best part about being a personal trainer in this scenario, if you guys are trainers, is that you can do that in your own gym and you can give your client the directive to go explore some of these, go play around with these movements, see which ones they feel connected with the most. And it's a direct order from you, the trainer, and so they, they feel safe already. They feel like it, it's something that, that they really enjoy. Now, another great example of this is CrossFit, right? A lot of people getting into CrossFit, um, whether whether you agree with the way they program or not, or whether you agree with you know things like that inherently or not, um, the one thing that is so amazing about their community that they have built is that it does feel like a safe place to come in and try some things. A lot of people come in and they've never tried a power clean. They've never tried a handstand walk. They've never tried a kipping pull up uh, or, or a muscle up. And they maybe, maybe especially like with something like a clean or a muscle up, maybe they wanted to try something like that, but in their in their um, regular corporate style gym, they didn't necessarily feel comfortable. It's not that it wasn't allowed, it's not that there wasn't the equipment to do it. It's that they didn't feel comfortable. They didn't feel like people were going to be supportive of them. In other words, if they were trying to do a muscle up and someone came up to them to try to help them, you know, that may happen. But most likely they would get looks of either disapproval or like, what the heck is that person doing or whatever. 
but in a place in a space like CrossFit, that is the perfect space to to try a lot of those different movement patterns in a space where other people are trying it so it's very safe but you also feel like it's community everyone's doing it together everyone's learning this together and that i think is the core of what makes crossfit so appealing to a lot of people is that they don't feel restricted anymore and their bodies adapt to that now yes you can make arguments that some of the programming methodology doesn't do a great job in protecting the body and you know overall health but um, if done correctly, I think it can. And you guys have heard me say this before. There's a few fundamental things I disagree with with CrossFit, but at the same time, this part of it, I, I, I endorse 100% and I think it's great. And I think that's what the connection is. That's why people love going to a CrossFit gym. But also it's because, um, they, they want to have some sort of, um, confirmation that what they're doing they are mastering a certain movement they are understanding what it is to to do this so again that's where you as coaches and personal trainers can really help because you're going to let them explore but then you're going to give them some advice on how to do it correctly making sure that they are moving in the right way so they should feel that mind muscle connection right but they need to have a place where they again feel comfortable to do it feel like there's a community around them that's going to help them um that's also you know we'll just say um you know an expert in that field or or you know they're they're uh have the ability to actually coach them or guide them along the way so those are some things that before any change can take place those are really the the main uh um i guess criteria for change so the next thing I want to talk about, now that we've got established that, we want to look at um, some of the pillars that we have to look or that have to be present in order for us to truly make a change in our physical self. Again, the, remember the whole idea of this is if we can change our physical posture, our physical, uh, the, the way we physically carry ourselves and the way we physically move through our exercise, through our sitting and standing throughout the day. All of these things have a physiological effect on the body. We've talked about stress in the past and how if we're stressed, our body changes physiologically. Our, our uh, parasympathetic nervous systems uh, kick in, um, sympathetic nervous systems kick into up, you know, vasoconstrict, vasodilate to uh, increase, decrease the heart rate based on what we're doing, and what's going on around us. So we have a physical response to what's around us. Even if the stress isn't necessarily bad stress, uh, you could be sitting watching a movie and be completely calm and chill at home watching a movie, but the movie's tense and it's it's a horror movie or a suspense thriller. Your heart rate goes up, your breathing rate goes up. You're physically responding to that movie, that stress in the movie. You, you don't feel stressed in the world necessarily, but that situation is causing a physical effect on your body. And we have to understand that because if that happens, we then have the power to control that or should have the power to control that. And what happens is often we don't feel that we do have that power. We don't know how to harness that power and channel that power into letting our body relax and combating all of those physical stresses that come about us. So you've heard me talk at length about 
our success formula, our process, um, you know, where we talk about why we choose the right kind of exercise or the right kind of exercise for that person, why we pick nutrition the way we do, why we talk about sleep and rest. But then we always talk about that behavioral change, that behavior modification. And it's using those behavior models that we can then deal with every stressor or roadblock that comes with that person. So we're giving them the mental cognitive tools to deal with to deal with all of these roadblocks that come up. You know, kids staying late at school or having to stay late for work or you know something coming up that throws you off of your normal routine, right? We have ways to get around that so we still get our exercise in, we still get our nutrition in and our sleep in. Um, but we still have physical, we still have a physical response to that stress, right? So even if, even if we don't panic now because we have this behavior change model, we know we can still get in to do our workout, the initial stress is there when something comes up. So what we're talking about now is changing the way we perceive it through our mind and how our body then changes and how that happens to everybody, but how we can combat that. So there are, there are five things, um, five things to kind of prep your body. And there, there's some literal and metaphorical um, uh, rationale for each one of these. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm coming um, straight out of my, my education in the holistic fitness world here. So uh, first thing is strength, okay? Couldn't, couldn't be more simple. Uh, strength from a, from a literal so standpoint means the more physically strong we are, not necessarily how much we can bench press or, or squat, but the more you know strength that we possess gives us li the literal ability to handle certain stressors, obviously physical stressors. On the mental side of things, the strength means we have the power to endure any kind of stress that comes our way. We, we are more confident in our ability to handle these things. So when we use those behavior change models, we're building the psychological strength to be able to handle all these roadblocks, all these things that come our way so that the next time they come our way, we understand um, that we can fight it, that we can get past this. It's not going to be a problem because we've been here, we've seen it, we've done it. Um, I, I, I've mentioned before, um, Chelsea, when she runs, you know, I've asked her many times, you know, how does she mentally get through some of those really hard runs? Uh, you know, how does she push herself to that level, you know, where there's physical pain, right? And then your brain starts to say, uh, yeah, no, this is not what I want to do. How do you keep going, especially in a race situation? And, you know, her response was always because their practices were so hard and not hard for the sake of being hard. It wasn't just they went endless miles or endless amounts of repetitions on repeats or whatever. It was they got pushed so hard, harder than they would in a meet that when they got to that meet and it got hard they had the confidence to know oh i've been here before i've been in this pain cave before and i know how to deal with it and keep going and i know that if i do keep going and keep pushing i'm not going to die i'm not going to hurt myself why because i've been here before and i've done it right so that's where those mental expect or mental uh, behavior change models come into play they give us that mental strength to fight through any of these things that we might deal with, okay? And that's huge. 
that's huge because it's in this in this world right now and again i'm not trying to get political or or, or make any kind of you know major statement on on the state of the world today but there is a lot of victim mentality out there and it's real easy to fall into why me well in my scenario my scenario is different or that may work for you but you know my world is a little bit different and okay you may be different but we're all dealing with the same stuff everyone's busy everyone's got responsibilities everyone's got hiccups along the way everyone's got crap that they're dealing with right so this mental strength helps us combat that and we do that again by our behavior change models but also when we are physically strong and we can do things and we know we're more physically capable that sets our brain up to say we can handle anything including the physiological stress so our muscles don't get as tight you know we tighten up when we get stressed when we're when we're physically strong we can combat that because we have more control over our muscles more mind muscle control so for example if my back is hurting because I did some heavy deadlifts okay maybe I did it wrong and that's why my back is hurting right or um, Maybe I put a lot of physical strain on my body from deadlifting, even though I did it right. I might be still fatigued. My body can handle that. My body's not going to just lock up and be uh, immobile for three or four days because my body can handle that stress because I've done it repeatedly over time. But that gives me the ability to say, okay, next week I'm going to go heavier. And I know I can do it because I've prepped my body to do that. And mentally, it's not going to be a roadblock. I'm not going to be scared to get under that heavy squat or put up that heavy overhead press where it's a physical challenge, but it's also a mental challenge because you got a heavy bar over your head or a heavy bar on your back or something like that. So giving us that physical strength allows our brain to, to look at things differently. So when there are other stresses, other things coming at you that aren't physical, but that will cause a physical tightening you know again we talked about that parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system right the automatic nervous system when that happens when we get those physiological physiological changes increase heart rate we tense up we do things uh to protect ourselves right that's a natural protection um we need to be able to combat that and if we don't every time that happens we tense and then it happens again we tense more we tense more we tense more and over time our muscles become really tight and tense we're inflexible, we're immobile, we're less capable. And so when something does stress us, it hurts even worse. Because our muscles are already tight and we're just getting tighter. Literally, physically tighter. So the next thing is flexibility. So flexibility, obviously, from the physical side is just our, our body or our ability to move, right? So mobility, flexibility, all of these things are great so we can take our body through a full range of motion pain-free and the only limitation is anatomical and not you know uh, tight muscles or something like that um, it's you know we get to a place where we just can't turn anymore you know bone on bone or whatever um, so flexibility also gives us the ability to uh, train ourselves to be flexible when things come up there's sometimes there's scenarios where it's not going to be perfect, right? How we handle it though is is 
you know, compromise. That's the best word to put in here. We'll have the ability to come to a compromise better. We're not going to be so hard and fast one way or the other. We're going to have the ability to be flexible and to come up with other solutions that may not be ideal, may not be exactly what we want, but will be okay. You know, in a workout scenario, it's like your client's running late. They're, they're mad that they're late, so they're only going to get 30 minutes instead of an hour. Well, okay. I can't. I might have to adjust the programming to still get somewhat of the same result. It's not going to be ideal, but it'll be okay. And they have to be okay with that. Or something might happen at work in their life, and you know they they see something going a certain way, but everyone else in the office wants it done a different way. There's going to have to be some kind of compromise. And if you don't allow yourself to be mentally flexible like that, what's going to happen is you're going to get stuck in this trap of no, my way's right their way's wrong and what you get is a basically a um a one-sided viewpoint a very narrow-minded viewpoint on things and that causes resentment and contempt for others even if you're in the wrong right um the idea being that contempt that frustration that's the right word will cause a physical response a tightening of muscles, you know, your heart rate increasing, blood pressure going up, a physical response that's not healthy, right? So if we allow ourselves to be flexible mentally, we can get, we can adapt these things, we can handle these things. And if we are literally more flexible through our, in our physical self, that trains the brain to, to understand that we are flexible. I can move this way. I can bend here. I can increase the flexibility of my muscles. Therefore, I can see other viewpoints. Again, we're always talking about resetting how we're looking at problems and how we're looking at stresses in the world. Uh, the next thing, the next couple things uh, that, that Coach Whaler talks about are, are grounding and centering. And, you know, basically, uh, it's basically just getting, you know, more confidence. The more we do this, the more practice we have at this, the more confident we are. That would be the, the grounding portion of it, right? I, I feel grounded in this. I feel competent in this because I've done this. I've worked at this. And so that's the consistency. So when we talk about in our training programs, or if you are, uh, listening as a, as a, an exerciser yourself, Consistency is key. I did a whole podcast on this probably over a year ago. Consistency is the biggest thing that you can do. If you're gonna if you're gonna look at one thing, be consistent. Be consistent, and and that gives you that that feeling of confidence. I can do this. I can get past this. Um, so even using the mental side of things, that behavior change models that we talk about, you can. The more you you the more you implore these these models, the less, uh, the fewer times you will succumb to this roadblock, the more success you have, the more confidence you have that you can get over that and get past this. And you feel in, in her terms, grounded, you feel connected to the ground, you're stable, you're strong. So nothing is going to waver you too far one way or the other. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So centering uh, is, is again, basically um, just feeling at ease, being, you know, being 
being at ease with things. Uh, I go back to my example of um, uh, sitting and watching the movie. You know, you're you're at ease, you're relaxing, but the movie that you're watching is causing you stress. And and these are the things that that uh, uh, Coach Whaler will say is um, you're getting that physical reaction, or in her words, that somatic reaction. And so you're you're at dis-ease there. And so what do we do? This is this is where our breathing comes into play. This is where our breathing exercises um, that you've heard me talk about, uh, the clock exercise and the one I call just strict, simply the breathing exercise. Um, these exercises are done to be able to control your breath, to give you oxygen to have proper physiological function for whatever you're doing, but also to be able to calm yourself when there is dis-ease. Uh, not disease, but dis-ease. So we get, um, we get uncomfortable, we get out of our comfort zone. Again, there's the physiological effects of stress. Breathing is a huge part on how we bring that back to normal and how we maintain that and how we have that, um, what we, you know, the, I guess, confidence, going back to the confidence um, in doing what we're going to do. But breathing is, is, our, is our main function here. And we can tell a lot by the breath of how we're doing, whether we're in a dis-ease or an ease state of mind. Um, and finally, the last thing that, that, that we want to talk about today uh, is just your, your creativity um, and your curiosity for moving forward. So, um, uh, Coach Wheeler calls this, you know, your vitality. You know, your vitality is your energy, you know, how vivacious you are and your, your zest for life and your willingness to go out and try new things and do new things. Basically, what we're trying to say, or the way I adapt that uh, into what we do, is we want to try different movements. We want to be curious as to what is going to take us to the next level. I want, and, and Chelsea wants her clients and our clients to ask us questions like, what does this do? Why am I doing this instead of this? We don't mind those because we don't feel like they're questioning us necessarily, like they don't trust in what we're doing. We see that as before they met us, they didn't know anything about exercise or movement, maybe, possibly. We've introduced them to a certain few things. They've gotten the bug. They've, they're into it now. It's part of their life. They go out and do more research on their own. They find out other things and they come back to us. Why aren't we doing these? I'm curious. What is this going to do? Or, and this is, this is more in line with our philosophy and what we talk about all the time. We train them to a certain level. And... and and you'll read on our website, our, our definition of success with a client is that they have become self-sufficient and don't really need us anymore. And if all their goal, if their goal was only to maintain where they currently are, they wouldn't need us. But we've always said that the reason we don't worry about losing clients in that fashion is we've created more capable human beings and they are now going to be capable of doing more physically and their goals are going to be higher. And so now they're going to need to know how to get to that next level. And obviously that's where you, the coach, come back into play or stay in play as it were. So that curiosity is great. We want those questions because we want to keep educating our clients. And again, if you're listening to this and you don't have a personal trainer or you're not a personal trainer, 
your curiosity to try new things, try new exercises, try doing things that you haven't done before, right? Going back to that Thomas Jefferson quote, I've said it twice already today. If you want something you've never had before, you gotta be willing to do something you've never done before. If you, if you do the same thing expecting the same results, uh, you know, or don't change, <laughs> I forget the exact, that's the definition of crazy, right? I, I forget the exact saying. But the idea is, if you want to change something and what you're doing isn't producing the results, you got to do something different, right? And having this healthy curiosity, I mean, I, I, I love looking at kettlebell stuff. I'm not the most well-versed kettlebell authority there is, but I like playing around with kettlebells. It fascinates me. The whole sport of you know kettlebell um, as a sport fascinates me. Because when I look at it, it seems like that would be, if I had to pick one implement, I've always said I'd pick the barbell, right? But looking at the kettlebell, and I see a lot of different possibilities, a lot more possibilities for flexibility through rotation and things like that. I'm like, hmm. And it's always just had me curious. Now, not enough to where I've abandoned the barbell and everything else and just done kettlebells, but I've certainly incorporated more kettlebells over the last 15 years in my routine than I probably would have otherwise. But it's that curiosity to want to know more about this modality or this uh, philosophy, this way of training. Um, I have a client right now that's really into breathing techniques. Um, was having trouble sleeping. Looked into some, you know, home remedies and stumbled upon this or stumbled upon that. And led down this rabbit hole. And again, a lot of the stuff may or may not be backed by science, um, but he's trying things out, seeing if it works. Because some things do work for people and not work for others. Even things that have been scientifically studied still work for some and not work for others. So. Having this curiosity, having this um, idea of, or this mentality of, I'm going to go out and try new things, or I'm going to explore, I'm going to question things. And again, think about it in terms of just your day-to-day -day life. Do you accept everything that just is shown to you, shown you, that you are shown? That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, the, everything that you read, everything that you see uh, on TV, is that is that the end-all be-all of information? Or does that spark thought that you go out and then look at something yourself? You know, you might you might hear something that all cars are, you know, causing this huge, you know, uh, tear in our ozone layer. I remember hearing about that growing up. Is that true? I don't know. Maybe it is. But if you read that article or, or saw that on TV and just took that as fact, without doing some research yourself, you might be missing out. You might not, but you might. And you'd owe it to yourself to do that. And that's what we feel is super important when it comes to the body, training our body. Because again, the whole goal of all of this is to become literally healthier human beings, more physically capable. And we think that being more physically capable helps our body run more efficiently, become less tight. When we're less tight with movement, we don't have the physiological effects of stress always beating down on us. And one part of that is exploring what's out there, being curious, having, as, as Coach Wheeler calls it, the vitality, right? 
having vitality, getting out there and, and, and just loving life and being curious as to the world around you and experiencing the world around you. I'll tell you what, I, I love this. I get pumped up talking about it. I love going back and looking at some of my old resources and, and reminding myself of, of why I'm doing what I'm doing. But the best thing for me, and this is just for me personally, is I read some of these things and I look back at some of these old materials and I'm like, oh man, like I've been saying these things for years and sometimes I even forget exactly where I picked up this knowledge. And then I remember, oh yeah, 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 here it is. This is where I got it. And I still use it to this day effectively. It works. And um, and so again, I, I, I'll i leave you with, you know, go out and, you know, whatever you're doing career-wise, if, if you are doing a career and you've studied something to get that career, you know, whether that be through textbooks or, or, or you had to take a course to be able to do what you're doing, always go back and look at some of your resources that you studied. And obviously there's things that change. We learn new things and you got to keep abreast of new changes. But what you learned is like the fundamentals, right? Like learning how to catch a ground ball in baseball is fundamental. You know, putting your glove on the ground and, and watching the ball and trapping it with your hand. There's some fundamental things that even the pros still do. Now, they might have a slightly different technique. They've adapted it, their technique, but they started with the basic fundamentals. And so you've started your career with basic fundamentals and hopefully have grown and learned more about your profession, learned more about whatever you do and have adapted that, but kept your fundamentals sound, a sound foundation to build off of, to learn new things. And that's what it's all about. All right, that was part two. Stay tuned for part three. Coming up very soon. Have a great day.